skip a few pages now. We're into uh, 42, page 42. This uh, more about alcoholism. No, 39, I think, is the next one. Page 39. Um, you know, he's is given the description of of um, the Jay Walker, I think. Isn't that who he's talking about there? Oh, no, the guy that goes out, the car dealer that sells his uh, car and decides he's going to go have a drink, you know, with some milk. And uh, and what happened to him. And, uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, on page 39, up in that, the first full paragraph, it says, But the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. And what had happened to this fellow was that he knew a lot about the disease and alcoholism and how it worked and all, and he had a lot of self-knowledge, but what happened was that's all he had. He hadn't done anything else. And uh, then it says, This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize, to smash home to our alcoholic readers, as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. So he wasn't the first one to, uh, to experience this. And what I've come to know, and this is, uh, you know, the longer I'm here, the more God reveals things to me. And I've learned two, th- two things in meetings. There, are, You can get some profound things that, that can help you in your life through real sick people, because you never know who God's going to be using, so you've got to listen to everybody. And, uh, and the other thing is that... Uh, <laughs> That has happened to me. I see someone laughing, but, you know, I mean, this guy, he couldn't stay sober at all. And he'd come into a meeting and he'd be sober like no no time, you know. And he would just say things that would touch me spiritually. Like, I mean, there was like nobody else. And then the next day he might be out drinking again. And I think, God, you know, he comes in and gives all of this to us and he can't stay sober. But... Uh, the other thing is that I hear a lot of people talk and they sound good. And what I have come to realize is they do not talk about how they did it. They talk about how it's done. And there's a difference. There's a difference. And they sound good. And we, you know, we tend to put a lot of gospel in it and for me there's a difference between me knowing how to do it the only way I know how to do it is to experience it the only way to experience change is to go through the change and uh, so our experience can help other people And maybe I can talk all the time about how it's done, and that might help somebody. But I think that there's just, there's not the sincerity, or if I go to that person for help, they're not going to be able to help me, because they really don't know how to do it. They can't share their experience in doing it and what they went through. And I think that goes back to the cause and effect. You know, it's talked about cause and effect in our inventory, but... It's also the cause and the effect that, that comes from doing these steps. And I need to be able to share that. Um, so what, this, what I'm getting from this story a lot is, is that he knew how it was done. 
but he didn't have the experience of doing it in his own life. He just knew how it was done from the others that did it. Uh, he kind of says that up at the top. He says thanks for the information whenever he's talking to the people who from AA. So he had a lot of information and he knew how it was done, but that didn't keep him sober in the end. So now we're going to go to page uh, 42. And down at the bottom of uh, that page, uh, in the middle of that last full paragraph, uh, it says, I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out of the window. So this means that, you know, uh, some of those old ideas are going to have to leave. I'm going to have to get rid of. I'm going to have to be open to, uh, to new ideas and new conceptions. And, uh, and these come from other people. Sometimes God reveals things to me, but just myself today. But most of the time, it comes from other people that God reveals things to me. God reveals himself to me through you. Um, then he says, that was not easy. But the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, and, and this is... Um, this is the condition of the promises that's going to follow. You see, he says, the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process. So, so that was an action in itself, a, a passive action anyway. He made up his mind. I had the curious feeling that my alcohol condition was relieved, as in fact it proved to be. So he got, this happened to him not, um, because he had gone through the process yet. Just that he had made a decision to go through the process. Going on to the next paragraph. Quite as important as the discovery that spiritual principles would solve my problems. That's the first promise in that, uh, in that paragraph. That spiritual principles would solve all my problems. Um, I, I don't do the 12 and 12 much. And um, even though I had been in the big book a lot and for a few years, I got this message from the 12 and 12. And I was working on in the, tw- in the big book, <laughs> but I had to go to a meeting and be in a meeting with other people and hear this read out of the 12 and 12 that spiritual principles would solve my problems. And that was a promise at that time in my life that literally changed my life. And, and I made the decision, I made the decision that I was going to, um, I was going to have to do this again and I was going to have to get everything that this program offered. And it was, it was like um, just a truth in my life knowing knowing that if I was going to make it through this time in my life that I was uh, going to have to have a new pair of glasses and see things different I have a what I call a set aside prayer now and y'all may have uh, heard this before and all it is is that I ask God and I I encourage the women I work with to use it before they start to write or in, in any situation that they have to make a decision about And it's just, uh, God, help me to set aside everything that I know or that I think I know. And if I'm going, you know, if it has to do with AA and my service work, I 
I put that in and I can add whatever I want to it. If it's about uh, working with other women, I put that in it. About Sometimes I have to say, uh, you know, God, please help me set aside everything that I know or that I think I know about Donna <laughs> so that I can have an open mind when she comes to me and be open to where she might happen to be at the time to hear what she's saying and not have my mind made up already about what she needs to do. Because I can be that closed mind. When I go through the steps, I want to see them all new again. I want it to be a new experience for me. So I say that prayer at the end. And uh, it's, it's just a wonderful tool for me in my life. The next promise in here is, I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and, I hope, more useful than the life I lived before. So it's telling us that uh, it's going to be better than anything else, anything that we ever had before. We're into uh, the fourth chapter and it's right at lunchtime. So I think we're going to do that now. Uh, We're going to break here and we'll start with chapter four. And uh, from here on, it goes pretty fast. And we'll meet back at 1.30. We're going to take an hour and a half for lunch. And I will start right at uh, 1.30. Y'all go have a good lunch. I think they... Uh, we're going to start on page 44. We agnostics. And uh, just to refer back a little bit to the table of contents, if you, uh, if you weren't here, this is, this is where we're going to find the solution to our problem. So up until this point, we've talked about our problem, the body and the mind, parts of the mind and the part from the body and uh, of our disease. And so now we're going to find out what the solution is to our problem. And we're going to find that in, uh, in We Agnostics. Okay, uh, in Chapter 4. I found 18 promises. Um, the first principle that we're going to uh, I'm going to talk about is found in the third paragraph of the uh, page 44, about the close to the bottom of the paragraph. It says, "But after a while, we had to face the fact that, and this is the principle, we must find a spiritual basis of life, or else." Uh, this doesn't use the word must, but uh, for all of you who think there are no must in the big book, this is a must. Or else means I don't have a choice. And any time it doesn't give me much of a choice, I think that refers to uh, it's a have to do. So I don't have a choice about the spiritual basis for my life. And it doesn't, this spiritual basis is not just, you know, in a part of my life. It's in all of my life. I have to use that in all of my life. Page 45, the end of uh, the first paragraph, is another principle. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed us. So this says that we do have some human resources, but they're just, we don't have enough. They're insufficient. We don't have enough to work on. So we need some more. We need some more resources. And where do we get those? 
it tells us in the next paragraph, we had to find a power greater, a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And this power he's talking about is capitalized. Now remember, anytime we find something that's capitalized, it's in reference to a spiritual deity. So that's another example of, uh, of God being the power. Page 46. In the middle of the page, the paragraph that starts with, yes, we, um, we get a conditional promise. It starts off, the condition is, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results. And that's the promise. Now, this is the second time that, uh, that Bill talks about cause and effect in reference to willingness to believe. Not the belief, but just the willingness to believe. So we have, we can gain a lot of, of um, we can get a lot of effect just from becoming willing to believe in that power greater than us. And the promise there is we commence to get results. And that's what we're looking for whenever we get here. We want some results for our actions that we're taking. Uh, we want some different results. And I might add that, you know, when I, when I got here, I, I more or less did not. I was one of those who did not come to AA to get sober. I came to AA to get different. I wanted, to get, I wanted something different. And I didn't know what the difference was going to be. And I didn't know that it would include my sobriety. But that was not, that really was not why I got here. I will say too that the honesty that I have to give the women that I work with or any newcomer that walks through the door is that it doesn't always get better. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But it always gets different. The minute I started doing something different, I started getting different results. You know, the end result was different. And uh, today, most of the time, it's better. But there was some times that wasn't better. Right in the beginning, it was, to me, it was worse because everything I was doing was abnormal. And uh, the doctor talks about that in the doctor's opinion. He says that the alcoholic sees his life as being normal. And so when we start doing something different, it's that feeling of being abnormal when really... It's, it's until we get used to doing it and it becomes normal. The next paragraph uh, down, there's a condition and a promise again. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, that's the condition, and this is the promise, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction. So right here it, it gives us in that, in that one condition three examples of a God, creative intelligence, spirit, and spirit of the universe. That's two. Okay, that's two. Um, that's not a belief. That's only the possible existence of. 
And then after the promise, it conditions it even more, provided we took other simple steps. So for us to get this promise, we have to admit a possible existence of a higher power, and we have to take a few other simple steps. On the next page, we're going to find the cornerstone in the middle paragraph. Uh, And in this, we get some promises. I'm going to read the whole paragraph. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. And this is in reference, actually, to step two. Do I now believe, or am I willing to believe, that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that, he does believe, or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. And that's the promise. That if we can admit that we believe, or we can admit that we're willing to believe, The promise is that we'll have made a start. We're on our way. We're making a beginning. It has been repeated, repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. So until this time, we're really just uh, laying the foundation for the arch. And we've got the first step, we've got the second, and and the foundation. And then we've got the cornerstone to our arch, which is step two. And that comes about, just like it says here, as soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe. And the step reads, came to believe that a power greater than ourself could restore us to sanity. Page 50. The third paragraph. Now, these are promises, second step promises, if you want to, uh, to title them that or however. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. So they're talking about men and women that have gone through the experience and what, what has happened to them. And this is what has happened to them. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. That's a promise. Each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. So by allowing uh, a power greater than myself to come in my life, These are the things that are going to happen. I'm going to be able to accomplish the miraculous. I'm going to be able to do the humanly impossible. And for us in the beginning, that thin reed that we grab onto is is just not drinking. You know, a newcomer, I can see a newcomer that's, say, uh, two or three hours from his last drink or one day from his last drink. To him, it's it's an impossibility that if he talked to me with ten years that... He could go 10 years without drinking. I couldn't, he couldn't relate to me. But you get someone with a month there, he can relate to him. He wants to know how he stayed sober for a month. 
because to him that's a human impossibility. The next paragraph. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things. Now that's three conditions right there. They came to believe, they take a certain attitude toward that power, and then they have to do a a few certain things. This is what's going to happen. There has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. You know, the way we live changes when we get here. I talked a little bit about that just when we stop drinking, what happens. But by allowing a power greater than ourselves to come into our life, it doesn't say that our live, just our living, our whole manner of thinking is going to change. And so this is the beginning of the process that we're going to have a rearrangement, like the doctor talked about, of emotions and attitudes just by allowing this power to come into our life. Here's another one. They found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. Isn't it wonderful to have a sense of direction in your life? When for so long I felt as though I was just spinning my wheels no direction. But Judy talked a little bit about that last night in her story. I didn't know where she was going or where she had come from. This happened as soon this happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. So he's telling us that all of these things can happen to us. These are second step promises. And they're conditioned that we get them. But it also says that we have more requirements. And that's, you know, that's not, uh, that, you know, that tells me that I don't have, really, I don't have too many choices on suggestions. They might say these are the suggested steps, but they don't give us any others to choose from. (laughs) They just give us one set, you know, and they suggest we use them. So if we don't, we don't have much else to look for. So I'm going to have to meet some more requirements. Page 52. The uh, second to last paragraph starts with when. When we saw others solve their problem by simple reliance upon the spirit of universe. And I want to just stop there, right, right there. Who are the other people that we're going to see do that? The ones that are already here, right. So if you have one day or one week or one month or one year, you are already an example to that new person coming in. Something for them to look at and hope, have the hope that they need to go on. We had to stop doubting. So the newcomers come in and they've looked at me and they've, they see what has happened. Just like Bill sat at the table with Ebby. He saw what had happened to Ebby. He could see physically that spiritual awakening in Ebby. It said, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our idea did not work. The God idea did. So this God idea is going to be what's going to work for us now. 
You know, it's real easy to use God when um, it's, it's, it's crucial. <laughs> somebody, I heard somebody say, you know, it's real easy to accept the third step when it's critical. <laughs> and uh, we see cancer and heart failure, and we see that as critical. But we tend not to see alcoholism as being critical. But alcoholism is a life and death proposition. And what we get to do here is we get that um, that daily reprieve that's called. And it's, it's like going on hold and the disease being arrested, uh, the active part of it. The next page in the middle of the page. We became al- when, when we became alcoholics. Now, I referred to this earlier because it said um, we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholic. This was the first step in recovery. And right here it says when we became alcoholics. And I I reached a point in my sobriety when I had to ask myself, when did I become an alcoholic? And you know when I became an alcoholic? When I diagnosed myself and I fully conceded to my innermost self that I was, that's when I become an alcoholic. What does it say about that once we do that? It says, once we become alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, We could not postpone or evade. Do you know that a self-imposed crisis can come at any time, whether we are drinking or not? And I reached that point in sobriety that I had. And the self-imposed crisis was not what I was going through, but my acceptance of it. Because I I was having a hard time accepting what was going on in my life at that time. This is what happens to us when that happens. When we become alcoholics and when we're crushed by this self-imposed crisis that we cannot postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or he is nothing. God either is or isn't. What was our choice to be? Well, is that really a choice? If the only solution I have is God and I don't choose him, what have I got? That's almost like saying you have a choice, a choice to jump off a cliff or cut your throat. (laughs) You know, you don't you really don't have a choice. You really don't have a choice. And that's uh, I think that's a point where where all of us. To get here and fully concede to our innermost self that we're alcoholic has to be there. And we can reach that point at any level of our drinking. You know, uh, I am I'm a good example of that. It's not how long or how much or how often you drink that makes you an alcoholic. It's That's just not part of it. Uh, I do believe that... Um, You can, just like they talk about in the book, that you can drink yourself into alcoholism because I believe I did that. You know, I drank enough to become alcoholic. I crossed the invisible line and I could no longer go back because I do know that there were times in my life that I could have stopped. I mean, just exactly like the book describes it. And I could have I could have uh, moderated my drinking or quit altogether and would never have had a problem with it. 
Um, but you'll have to hear my story to know that. Page 55. In the middle of the page. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup. Just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. That's the principle. And then, um, okay, I'm going to go ahead and read that whole paragraph because it, the, the tone of it kind of changes. And I want to refer back to the part that said that uh, we, have, we came to know that our Creator had entered into our heart and our lives. So the first part, it talks about that. It says that God comes into my life. And right here in this paragraph, it says that faith in some kind of God was a part of us, that faith was part of us. And then it says, sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. And it uses the term great reality as a, as a spiritual deity. It's capitalized. And so it tells us that where, it, where he is and how we're going to find him right in that paragraph. So if you have someone say that, you know, they're looking for God, you can tell them, well, this is where they go to find out how to where and how to find him. (laughs) We search fearlessly and we look within us to find God. The sentence, we found the great reality deep down within us, can be a promise or it can be a principle. It's a principle for me whenever I'm searching all on the outside of me. And it's a promise that... um, that I don't have to go without within me, you know, to go outside of myself to find God. Page 56. Uh, in this part, he's talked about um, another alcoholic that they had been working with and uh, and how he came to uh, God revealed to him in the squiggly writing. Uh, a principle and it says who are you to say there is no God and it's in reference to when we look around and we see what's happened you know to our fellows or we see friends and, and this is you know it doesn't have to be just inside Alcoholics Anonymous there are there are many naturally spiritual people out there that can meet life on life's terms that can that, that have a power out of themselves to deal with death and destruction and, and they don't drink over it. And these are people who have a faith and a reliance on a, on a spiritual basis other than themselves. And, and they come to this point naturally knowing that it takes more than just themselves to survive in life and to live life to its fullest. When we can accept this principle and live by this principle, we get some more promises. Just by doing, just by coming to that realization, God revealing that to him, this is what happens to this man. This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. 
The barriers he had built through years were swept, swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. So right here we have almost a full, every sentence is a promise of what can happen. Uh, a standard of future excellence that can come to us. Because we know if others have experienced it, we can experience it. If we follow their path. And what happens to this friend of theirs? It says, Thus our friend's cornerstone, which we've just shown here, fixed in place. No later vicissitude has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away, and that's the promise. That once our cornerstone is fixed and it's in place, it's been properly laid with the correct cement, that our alcoholic problem can also be taken away. The next page. What else happened to this fellow? At the last sentence it says, God had restored his sanity. And later on we're going to see where it says that this has happened for all of us. So even though in the second step it says that, that uh, we're insane, it's going to tell us that sanity has returned further on. The next uh, paragraph down. Even so has God restored us all to our right minds. Now right here it says to all, all to our right minds, but later on it says that we, we will have been restored to sanity. He has come to all who has honestly sought him. So by seeking God, he's going to come to me. Today I know that I don't have to go through pain to grow spiritually. I can choose to grow spiritually. I can make that conscious choice that I want to live and grow spiritually and take action to do that. And that's, that's what I do today in my life. Uh, the steps are spiritual tools for me, and it is a direct result of the steps that I reached, the spiritual awakening that I have reached, and the promises that have come true for me. So, for me, working the steps is a way to continue to grow spiritually. We get the last promise of this chapter in the next uh, sentence, the last sentence. And it's conditioned. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. Um, I think this is what comes through that conscious contact. It's called a conscious contact. Uh, I have been so close to my God. And I, I tell this a lot that at times I can, I can feel him with me. Maybe, you know, right behind me. But then the minute I turn to look, he's gone. But it's like before I check it out to make sure, I know. I have no, you know, I have no doubt that my God is with me. Chapter 5, How It Works. Um,
this really isn't my favorite chapter of the book. I really like the next one, Into Action. But um, I always like to point out that it says how it works, not why it works. It, uh, we know why it works because you follow the instructions precisely, and that's why it works. Uh, and it tells us exactly how to follow the instructions precisely. If someone says, well, I don't know why it works, but it does. It just works, you know. Well, this is why it works. <laughs> because you do what the book tells you to do, and it works. Um, You can take that first sentence right up there as a promise, really, because it says, Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And the the, uh, hope of that sentence is that if I do what they did, I will get what they got. And, you know, that's that's one of the greatest promises of the program to, to a newcomer, to be able to pick someone out and say, I want what they have, you know. And uh, and if they approach us, all we have to do is say, well, are you willing to do what I did? That's, that's my only. I see that as my responsibility as a sponsor. That's my only responsibility as a sponsor, really. All that other stuff is just lanyap. And it, and it talks about in the book, you know, we might meet and become friends and all of that kind of stuff. But we may not. But it's my responsibility to someone that I work with to take them through this book and show them precisely how I did it and what happened. Let them know what I did and what's going to happen to me. Down at the bottom of the page, we have a principle. The last paragraph. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. Once again, it's telling us that we do not have the power of choice. We, we have to have help to be able to make the choice, the correct choice. We can't do that on our own. And then the next sentence is the promise. See, when Bill's writing, and I, uh, when I talk about having him pull the rug out from underneath my feet, he might do that, you know, for a newcomer coming in and opening up and says, okay, without help, I'm never going to solve this problem. You know, where am I going to find the help to solve that problem? Immediately, he gives us a promise. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. Sometimes that's as scary as the first one. Because if God's the only thing that's going to help me solve this problem, that tells me once again, I don't even have a choice about God. (laughs) Then it tells us half measures availed us nothing. I have to be honest and say that today half measures avail me nothing. But in the beginning, I think that half measures availed me half. It kept me from drinking. And it kept me from drinking long enough to get in the book and start taking some action to where I saw that half measures were not going to avail me anything. But in the beginning, the half measures that I was taking was uh, just not drinking and going to meetings. And, you know, I did everything. I was doing everything that they said to do. But I knew that something was missing. 
I still had that feeling that something's not right, something's missing in my life. And I was about nine months into my sobriety when I thought to myself, God, there's got to be more to it than this. Something's not right. And uh, what happened for me was that my sponsor sponsored me into service. And I became a GSR in my group at nine months sober, which I don't suggest to anyone. And I don't think that's a reason for anyone becoming a GSR of your group. But I do know that the first qualification for everything in this program is willingness. And my sponsor took me to an area assembly where my group did not have representation. And I didn't like that because I thought I ought to be represented at the area assembly. And they talked about every, every group was important. And, you know, I was learning about that upside-down triangle. And I went back and I said, you know, we didn't have anyone at area assembly to vote for us. And they thought I'd be a good one to do that because they had the money and I had the time. And we had fun with that. And we're getting ready to go back to Alexandria. And that's where I started in service. <laughs> and... Uh, and we had fun, and I still have fun at area assembly, even though some of y'all know that I gripe the whole time I'm there. That's what happens after you get a few years. You think you know how it ought to be. And most of the time, you're right. <laughs> you're right. When I ask myself, Danny, are you right? Danny says, you're right. <laughs> Okay, so now, now we have, we, we come to the steps. And um, when I was, was given the definitions of principles, I, uh, I didn't give the one that the book gives. But we're going to get that definition right now. I'm going to go through the steps because these are the principles, and you can see that I have them titled up here, uh, mostly one words. I don't take credit for this. I found this in some AA literature years and years ago. I'm sure I was very young in sobriety the first time I saw this, and I don't even know where they came from. I wish I would have kept that, and I didn't. Um, But it was laid out exactly like this, and for each step it gave a principle. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our life had become unmanageable. Honesty. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, hope, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as, as we understood him, faith, four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, courage, five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, integrity, six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Willingness. Seven. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Humility. Eight. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Brotherly love. Nine. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Discipline. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Perseverance. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will, 
for, <coughs> for us and the power to carry that out. Awareness of God. And this is where we get the definition of the principles, of what the principles are in the book. Twelve. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. And that's service. Step 12 has three statements in it, but it's actually a two-part step. It says that we have had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. In other words, by the time you get to step 12, you should have had that spiritual awakening. And then it says, after that, uh, after our spirit has been awakened, we will be able to carry this message. What is the message? That we had a spiritual awakening as a result of the 11 steps. (laughs) That's the message. This message. That's real simple. And it says to practice these principles. And it's like all in one breath. He's talking about the 11th steps that came before this 12th one. I think that's why the last chapter, when he says about the last chapter, he says the next chapter is devoted entirely to step 12. When actually we see that we've had a spiritual awakening and we're practicing the principles because it tells us that we're going to start we're going to start living this way of life, you know, as we continue to clean up the past. So living by the principles have already started for us even before we get to the 12th step. So actually the 12th step in the book as Bill laid it out is about service and working with others. Really, he says it's a devoted, uh, he's, he talks here about carrying the message, and then he calls that chapter working with others. Okay. Are they doing the pass outs now? Okay, okay. You're going to uh, get that little paper now that I brought with me. In the next paragraph, we get some principles. And it says, no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. Once again, it's talking about the 12 steps there. We are not saints. Hmm. I didn't realize that. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. That's another reason why it is my belief, as long as I continue to do the steps, to do these guides for progress, I'm going to progress spiritually. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Now, he's going to summarize all of the first part of the book for us in this little paragraph. Our description of the alcoholic, that's the first four chapters, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after, that's the personal adventures of the ones they talk about in the first four chapters, the first part of the book, and the stories in the back of the book. 
That's what he's talking about. Our personal adventures before and after. Before we sobered up, after we sobered up. Make clear three pertinent ideas. And these are the ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our life. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. C, that God could and would if he were sought. So right there, we should have the idea of the first two steps. A is the first step and B and C is the second step. That we can't, we don't have the power, someone else does. Something else does, if you want to look at it like that. And we should be convinced of the first two steps when we reach this point. Because it tells us that. That's how I know that. The book says that. (laughs) It says, being convinced. So right now, I'm convinced. So what if if you get to this point and you are not convinced? Or what if you get to this point with someone you're working with and they are not convinced? I used to, the book used to say, either throw the book away or... Uh, read the book again or throw it away, <laughs> you know, because you, you need to be convinced before you go on any further right here. I have found through my own experience only because I experienced this, that at times when I get I'm working with someone and I get to this point, they are not convinced that they are an alcoholic. The first time I worked the steps, I worked with Joe and Charlie through the tapes and my sponsor and I really was not convinced that I was an alcoholic but I was willing to become convinced just like I was willing for a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity I was willing to go forward and keep an open mind because when I left treatment after those 40 days and 40 nights uh, you know there's a lot in the big big book there's a lot of reference to that <laughs> 40 days and 40 nights in the desert and all kind of stuff and so uh, I thought well I got to this point and I really wasn't convinced but I was willing to go through the action anyway because when I left treatment I was given two things and uh, those two things came from my counselor suggestions They weren't really. I didn't have much of a choice. She said I needed time and space. I needed space from the environment that I was in because I was in an alcoholic environment and time in AA to get in touch with my own alcoholism. And that's why I came to AA. And so by the time I got to this point, I really was not convinced, but I was willing to get in touch with my own alcoholism. And I've been able to do that over the years, but it did not happen overnight. And it was a process for me of the educational variety, just like my, uh, just like my spiritual awakening. Being convinced we are at step three. Now this is when we start, just, we're just starting step three. In step three, there are 13 promises by doing the third step. As we go through this, we're going to find that from this point on, every, every step has a warning, a good promise, if you want to, I mean a bad promise, if you want to look at it like that. I don't like good and bad, but a negative promise. A warning, uh, a promise, 
or a positive promise uh, and a prayer in it and a principle. So we're going to get a principle, we're going to get a warning, we're going to get uh, a promise, and we're going to get a prayer. In every step, they have this. Right here, it tells us that there's a requirement to go on. It starts off the third step by saying that. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I sometimes think that maybe Bill knew at this point that people were not going to be convinced. Because he says that we have to be convinced we're an alcoholic and we can't manage our own life. But then right here he says we have to be convinced that any life run on self-will cannot be a success. And I was convinced of that. I knew that because my life had been running on self-will. It wasn't hard for me to, uh, to get it at this point. When I, when I first got here, I wasn't convinced because uh, I thought my life was manageable. It was only after being here a while I found out everyone was managing it for me. That's why, that's why we managed so well. I had some very good children <laughs> that were growing up and taking care of me in addition to themselves a lot of times. Page 62. In the middle of the page are some principles of the third step. Above everything, it starts in the paragraph, so are our troubles. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. So he tells us that in this paragraph, it says that he tells us that our troubles are our own making, that we're, the alcoholic is an extreme of self-will run riot. A lot of people have self-will. They run riot, but it says the alcoholic is an extreme of that condition. And what's going to happen is it tells us that we can't do anything about it, but God can do something about it. So we're going to allow God to make it possible. Then the last sentence is another principle, and it tells us again we had to have God's help. So we don't have a choice in the God deal again. It's telling us that. Then it tells us why and how. This is the how and the why of it. And it tells us how we're going to get around to getting God to help us. We had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in the drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal, we are his agents, and he, he is the father, and we are his children. Now the third step says that we made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God. And for years, I thought that the third step prayer was me taking the step. But this is where the decision is made, the page before the third step prayer. It says that I have to make this decision before anything else can happen for me. What changed my life in the third step did become critical for me was about five years ago, four four years ago. Um, 
When I put that new pair of glasses on and I asked God to open my mind to something new that could help me in these steps, um, I was able to go through the steps again. And God revealed to me what this was all about. He talks earlier on in the book about us being actors and how we like to arrange the lights in the show and that's the job of the director that's not the job of the of the actor but what occurred to me at that time was if I'm the actor and God's the director maybe today I'm not the star I was one of these people who thought that everything that I went through was for me I realized at this time just how self-centered that is If everything that I go through is for me, you know, that is the ultimate of self-centeredness for me. And God revealed to me that maybe, just maybe, that what I'm going through today is his way of using me. And what I go through is for someone else. That was a novel idea. It changed my whole life. At that time. And this has never, ever left me. Never. Never. And it's it's reaffirmed in the prayer. And we're going to do that with the prayer. So once we accept this decision and we make this decision, I was able to uh, get in touch with the father and the child idea. Because until I was about the age of seven or eight years old, I was happy, joyous, and free, and all of my wants and needs were met. And there was a power greater than myself in my life, and his name was Daddy. And he took very good care of me. And I began to relate to my God as a father God at that time. My God and my idea of God in my life has changed from time to time. And as I grow, it continues to change. And that time, that's where I was in my life. It says, most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. So once we take that make that decision this is the third step decision we can make that and this is the promise once again it talks about the the arch to freedom not to relief to freedom now the keystone for those who don't know is the last stone at the top of the arch and it's it's the the stone that holds both sides together and keeps it from collapsing but we get this keystone here in the third step so far before the last stone and uh, I had to really pray about this and what happens at this point in our life is for me anyway is that it's the concept that Bill gives to us that's what that's what we're carrying the keystone is a concept and it's key to our, it's a key to our future progress through the steps because I know without a doubt that these steps were written in order 
to be to be gone through in order. Without a third step, there is no way that I could have faced and been rid of what I had to go through in the fourth step to be able to look at myself. No way. So this was this was a gift. The third step for me was like a gift. And the concept and this father father uh, God concept the idea that I'm going to allow God to be the director in my life and use me. And maybe there's a lesson, maybe there's not. Maybe I'm just going to be a lesson for someone else. And I could go on and go into the next steps. On the next page, it says, it gives us a bunch of promises. And this is not from saying the prayer. This is from making the decision. At the top of the page. Now, we've made the decision and it says, when we sincerely took such a position, and that's the position of what's been laid out to us on the page before, all sorts of remarkable things followed. And these are the promises. We had a new employer. He provided what we needed. If we kept close to him and performed his work well, We became less and less interested in ourselves. We became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. Not what we could get out of life, but what we could give to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind. Boy, is that a gift. Peace of mind. That was one of the, one of the things I wanted when I got here, was peace of mind. We discovered we could face life successfully. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. We were reborn. So we become like children again at this point. And we're able to start that new life. From this time, this point on, we get, and it tells us that, that we get to re build our life it doesn't say that we're going to go back to the old life we have in any way it says we're going to we're going to get to participate into rebuilding our life we are reborn so we're like children again this is where the idea of celebrating birthdays and anniversaries came in i'm going to skip the prayer for now because the way uh, the way bill wrote this This is why I think it's so dangerous for newcomers to try to do this by themselves. They should, uh, if this is a textbook, like LaFon was saying, hopefully they'll have someone that can help them with the textbook. After the prayer, right after the prayer, it says, We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready. That we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. So right here it gives us a principle that's kind of like a warning to make sure we're ready before we take it. But then it doesn't tell us that until after we've taken it, if we're doing it by ourselves and we're just going along straight in the book and doing what it says. And there's some reasons for that. And the best way I know for pointing out the reasons that I see, one is I've heard... uh, 
Don P. says this a lot. If you don't want what we have, don't do what we do. And if you're not ready to go forward from this point, don't go this far because then you're really going to be messed up again, too. I mean, you're just going to be there. But the prayer, we've made the decision. And for me, the prayer is a visible way, um, you know, an outward sign of of turning over, of turning over my will and my life over to God as I understand him. It tells us to think about it before we do it, and then it tells us how to do it in the next paragraph. And this is what it says about doing a third step. We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person. Now, this, this step and the fifth step are the two steps that it specifically says to take it with someone else. It also uh, suggests a wife, a best friend, or a spiritual advisor, and today we can say sponsor. But it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. The wording was, of course, quite optional. So it's telling you that it doesn't have to be these words. You can make up your own words as long as they constitute the same thing. But here is what it, what it really is the principle to it that's written in here. Voicing it without reservation. And voicing means to say out loud. So the third step, it is suggested that we take it with someone else and we say it out loud. When I sponsor someone, we do this on our knees. Only because it's a humbling thing for us. That we, together with whoever I'm with, can meet Uh, can go to their maker. And every time I go through this with someone I sponsor, I get to do it all over again. And it's it's wonderful. I was at uh, a conference a few weeks ago, and Bobby and I happened to be doing uh, the third step. (laughs) And uh, I was able to to get out on my knees and do a third step with about 300 people. I I was surprised so many had showed up so early (laughs) for that workshop. And uh, I was a little nervous about it. And uh, one of the statements I made was, uh, you know, why am I doing this? I couldn't figure out why am I doing this, you know. And, and uh, I happened to have a woman that I sponsored that was with me. And she said, uh, no, I said, what qualifies me to do this? And she said, you work the third step. <laughs> so that's the only qualification I had. And that's the only qualification I have for being up here. So I'm qualified to tell you that I've, how I did it. Okay, so we're going to say the third step prayer, and then we're going to talk about it now. And we're going to do it like the book. We're going to say it uh, with an understanding person. (laughs) I get to say it with y'all. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. You'll notice that there is no amen after this uh, prayer. And um, amen signifies the end of a prayer. And this prayer is the first 
prayer. You'll see on your sheet. And amen does not come until the seventh step prayer. We get an amen. So from here until that time, to me, is a continuing prayer. Let's look at that prayer a minute. Okay. It says, I'm going to offer myself to God, and I'm asking him to build with me and to do with me whatever he would like. I think it's the next sentence that can be so dangerous without being with someone to explain this to us. It says, relieve me from the bondage of self. And I have to look at this and say, okay, Danny, how many things is yourself bonded to? Name me five things you would not be willing to give up for God. Name me two things that you would not be willing to give up for God. Name me one thing. When you say this, you are saying, I am willing to give it all up for you, God. That's what you're saying. And we had someone talk at this conference about him taking this, working the steps by himself and doing this. And all of a sudden, his, he, lose, he loses his wife and he loses his car and he loses his business. And then he calls somebody. And this somebody says, and you're doing this by yourself, huh? He said, all God's doing is exactly what you asked. How much of self was wrapped up in all those things? Is there anything that I'm not willing to give up for God? That's what this prayer is asking us. Then we ask, take away my difficulties. You know what I learned from that? I don't always really know what my difficulties are. And sometimes God takes things away from me that I didn't know was my difficulty. When I was going through all this physical stuff, I thought my difficulty was the physical condition that I was in and what I was having to go through. And what God revealed to me was that my difficulty was my lack of acceptance. And it was at that time that I found out that no matter where I was physically, that God could use me and that I could have victory over them. Because he did take that away. He took away my lack of acceptance and I was able to accept the fact that no matter what, I still could be of service to God and I could fulfill my purpose. Okay, let's let's go on now. 64. Right at the top of the page we get some more principles. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. So we don't get a chance to rest after the third step. 
immediately we start the fourth step and it says that that no matter how good we feel after the first step and I'm I'm serious sometimes especially when I have my little workshop and I have the women you know around and we in the book and we doing all of this and we do a third step I mean the room is full of electricity whenever we get up off our knees it's like God has been there and touched us. It, uh, the the feeling is just so overwhelming. It's like nobody wants to say a word. You don't want to. You don't want to lose it. But if we don't go on from there, that's exactly what happens. We lose it because it's not permanent. It's a temporary thing. It's just a temporary thing. Our liquor was but a symptom, and I thought that was the problem. I thought the liquor was the problem. In fact, I had become convinced of that. And then I get here and it tells me, no, the liquor is not a problem. It's only a symptom of the problem. (laughs) So once again, this says that the solution to alcoholism is not not drinking. If I just don't drink, I'm still not going to have a solution to my alcoholism. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. Not yet. Not yet. We haven't done it yet. We don't get to put the stone until we've done the work. (laughs) I found nine promises in the fourth step. Resentment is the number one offender. That's the first principle. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we have not for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. So I, I'm told here again that I have a threefold disease. It's physical, mental, and spiritual. And I use this a lot because a lot of times I'm doing everything that I need to do for my, my spirituality. And things are still not right. And I know things are not right. And you see, I have to look somewhere else because that's only part of my disease. Maybe there's something going on with me physically and I need to go to a doctor. I do not believe the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is for anything but alcoholism. And sometimes some of us have mental and physical things that uh, that we need we need other help with, and uh, I think it's a dis- disservice for just to keep pounding someone in every time something's wrong. Well, when's the last time you did an inventory? Or when is the last time you did this? Or when's the last time you did that? How often do we say when's the last time you've been to a doctor? For women, it's uh, maybe you you know got PMS. They use that a lot now. Well, that burns me up. They didn't have that disease when I was young. <laughs> That was, that's something new that came on. They got a lot of things now they didn't have when I was growing young. I didn't have that excuse. 
So I know that sometimes other things are going on with me and sometimes other things are going on with my girls. And, and I have to be aware that maybe it's not their disease of alcoholism that's wrong. Um, maybe they need help in other areas. And, and I need to, to suggest that to them because sometimes they forget and sometimes they suggest that to me. It gives us a promise in the middle of that paragraph. And it says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten up mentally and physically. Now, I don't always think that, uh, you know, to overcome the spiritual malady is going to help me physically if I have something really physically wrong with me. I think it can help me accept the physical disability. But when I first came into the program, I came in sick. And when I say sick, I mean physically ill. And I had been for some time, and I got worse after I got here. And I began to get better physically. Uh, I began, uh, I stopped missing work all the time. Uh, I used to have violent headaches. I, I mean, I'd gone everywhere. They thought I had a tumor and all kinds of stuff. And what happened was that a lot of my physical problems really were coming from stress, the life that I was living, the alcoholism, the disease itself from the alcohol, and from my spiritual illness because I was so sick spiritually and it was coming out in all different areas of my body. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have had uh, mega surgery twice on my back. Uh, I have degenerative disease in addition to other things. And I have recently found out that, uh, that uh, stress is one of the great contributors to back disease. <laughs> I just found that out not too long ago. And that's, that's a medical fact. That that is one of the places that it come, it shows up. Stress is in, in your back. Well, we're not going to do an inventory. But I want to remind everybody that it says, uh, we just read that we're going to face and be rid of the things in our life that are object, objectionable. Um it doesn't say we're going to work on them and they're going to get better. It just says we're going to face, we're going to recognize them, and then we're going to be rid of them. But we're not the one that gets rid of them. We can't get rid of them. I used to think we could do that. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that comes in uh, sixth and seventh step <laughs> is what gets rid of them, not me. Okay, on page 66, it gives us a checkpoint for um, slippers and a principle. In the, in the middle of the page, the first sentence, if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm are not for us. 